will start today's session with a conversation with Nick Adams, managing partner and co-founder of Differential Ventures. Nick, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks. Good to be here. Nick, tell us a bit about yourself as well as about Differential Ventures. Let's get uh, you acquainted with our audience. Yeah, sure. So, um, uh, you know, at the high level, our, our fund is a seed stage fund. Uh, we usually invest uh, somewhere around 250, 250000 to a million dollars for our first check-in to uh, pretty early stage companies. Uh, we have a heavy focus on the data science, AI, machine, lear machine learning world, um, particularly with, with B2B applications. So we don't do a whole lot on the consumer side of things, um, but in the enterprise, we're really looking at how, how data can transform the way businesses will, will operate in the, in the future. Um, okay. And for my personal background, that's, um, you know, I, I came up through the startup world. Um, so I spent about 15 years in startups uh, of different, different sizes and different varieties, uh, mostly with a focus on uh, enterprise sales, marketing, and, and product management. Uh, I kind of did everything from um, launching the U.S. operations for a, a company based in Europe to uh, working with a, you know, hugely successful uh, back then big big data company called Opower, um, and then later on uh, running a team in India and um, launching a natural language processing engine uh, for a company called Rage Frameworks out of Boston that was uh, later uh, later acquired by Genpact. Um, so that's my background and my, my other two partners uh, have pretty complementary backgrounds themselves. Uh, my partner Mitchell is a, a you know, longer term VC uh, and previously ran eight or nine businesses across his, his career. And then my partner, David uh, Magerman, uh, is really our technical resource, um, PhD in computer science from Stanford, and um, really built his, his career as well known in the hedge fund world uh, for being one of the you know, uh, primary people behind uh, building the hugely successful algorithms at Renaissance Technologies. All right. And um, what size fund is Differential Ventures? We're investing out of our Fund One, which is a $20 million seed stage fund. Okay. And uh, tell us a bit about how do you define seed and specifically address the issue that, you know, the seed stage ecosystem has fragmented quite a bit between doing pre-seed, seed, post-seed, pre-series A, small series A, large series A, there's a whole spectrum of stuff. Even before that, there's friends and family. So what do you like to see? I think the way I phrase it, instead of trying to get into terminology, I try to phrase it as, what do you want to see by way of proof points before you're willing to consider an investment? Yeah, I mean, we will absolutely invest pre-revenue. Actually, uh, probably more than about half our portfolio today, our first check-in was, was pre-revenue. Um, you know, so we're looking for generally some sort of uh, MVP, um, but primarily we're looking for founder market fit and, and timing of the market, uh, in, in our opinion anyway, and in our, our research. So, um, you know, what, what, we, what we tend to look for is, you know, why is this team, why is this founder uniquely qualified uh, to, to do what they're doing? Um, is it a past experience? Is, there, is it their academic experience? Is it some, you know, unique connection that they have in the, in the industry to um, be able to get ahead of the competition? And, um, uh, you know, likewise, is it something we can do specifically to, to help them? Um, short of that, um, then traction is, is definitely helpful to prove that what you're, 
what you're doing is is working. But we don't have a specific you know revenue number or target that we're we're particularly looking for. Um, so you know, you going back. Is the product done, or uh, that's not a requirement? Say that again. You want to see uh, an MVP of the product done? Uh, ideally, um, not, not necessary, but ideally, yeah. Um, we we generally we tend to gravitate towards more technical founders. Um, so there's usually um, you know some some product in place or or a, a product led approach. Uh, to the company as a whole, um, so yeah, I think it's it's pretty common. Where it's pretty rare for us to take a, you know, a pitch deck or in the back of a napkin and and invest at that stage. And what about geography? Where do you like your founders to be? So most of our founders are on the east coast of the U.S. Um, about 50% of our portfolio is somewhere between Boston and Atlanta. Um, 25% of our portfolio is in Canada, um, particularly in, in Toronto, and then about 25% of our portfolio is based over in, in Israel. Okay. And um, double click down a little bit on um, what kinds of businesses. You said enterprise, you said data science, uh, AI-oriented stuff. Can you double click down a bit and get, add some color to what are you looking to invest in and what have you invested in? Yeah, sure. So uh, I would break it down into three categories, right? So we're we're you know broadly looking at the future of work, um, but specifically with how data and how data science can change the way businesses actually operate today, which we think uh, you know the opportunity is still very large, and and most large enterprises in particular are still at the early early days of uh, making information actionable. Um, so you know. We look at the full spectrum of data from, you know, collecting it to uh, interpreting it, um, and then also, you know, securing it on the back end. Um, and we look at that from, I would say, three layers of, of technology. So on the back end, we look at uh, infrastructure type platforms. So things like model monitoring um, or uh, infrastructure around uh, performance optimization. Um, to make models work more efficiently, more effectively, more, more cost-effectively. And then we go up to a platform level. So how can we enable data scientists um, and data engineers to uh, better uh, build and enable and facilitate uh, data science throughout an entire organization? And then, you know, thirdly is kind of, you know, the applied AI. So what specific use cases uh, can be uh, deployed within organization. Um, and generally when we do an applied AI platform, we're looking for something that, you know, on the front end has a, let's say, transaction by transaction value proposition to it, either helping a company sell more or, or cut costs. And at the same time are gathering and collecting um, a potentially really valuable set of data um, that we can interpret, analyze, and, and make use of down the road for analytics or, or other purposes. And what is the future of work context to this? You started by saying you look at it from a future of work point of view. I didn't get the connection. I think the future of work is going to be largely driven by, by data that today I think, you know, enterprises are still at their, you know, have doing, are doing a better job of collecting data. Um, I think, you know, most companies are still at kind of a big data stage. 
but are still really, really new in terms of data analysis and how to apply that throughout the organization um, in, in reliable and, and unbiased ways. I so see. that I, I, I got it. So you, your, your interpretation of future of work as a terminology is a bit different from, I mean, the, the, way, the way the future of work um, soundbite is being interpreted a lot is, you know, this remote work, virtual work, and especially with this COVID-19 situation, everybody is talking about future of work being virtual and all of that. So that's not what you're referring to. You're referring to general work flows in enterprises that are becoming more data-driven and, uh, and automated. Well, I would call that where work is happening. I, I think we're just uh, more interested in, in how decisions get made. Um, and uh, that's what I'm that's saying. You're, the, the, what you are referring to as future of work is not the word that the terminology that is floating around extensively at the moment on future of work is vastly about remote work. So, um, anyway, regardless, I understand what you're doing. Now, uh, let's do a couple of examples of things that you have invested in, and in doing so, um, tell us. Anecdotally, how did you encounter these companies and what was in those companies that caught your attention enough for you to want to write checks? What sure. you're trying to get uh, at is how you think about investments. Yeah, so um, you know, one of our earliest investments was a company here in New York called Offerlist. Um, they do data extraction, uh, validation, and, and analysis of uh, underwriting documents for um, alternative lenders, uh, mortgage lenders, financial services, accounts payable, uh, departments like that. So really any um, you know, paper intensive, data intensive uh, business process that's tied to some financial outcome, whether it be a loan, a mortgage, paying a bill, whatever. Um, met them through uh, an angel investor here in New York that we know pretty well, uh, who had actually written a small check into this company early on. Um, the company had been around for maybe two or three years at that point and had started out really working with small accounting firms, law firms, um, really the SMB market, um, and had just started to uh, get traction in this alter alternative lending space. Um, and it happened to be a business I knew pretty well uh, from my days at Rage Frameworks. And um, when I, I met Sam and Vic, uh, the CEO and COO uh, of the company, I was really blown away um, by how efficient and effective they were uh, in terms of their costs and, and back-end operations to scale up what they were doing. Um, being okay. familiar with the space, you know, their, their cost to uh, uh, process a transaction was about a third of what, uh, what mine was just a few years earlier. So I knew they were doing something, you know, A, operationally brilliant, and uh, B, uh, technically really uh, well thought out. And to be honest with you, I spent uh, two or three months kind of meeting with them repeatedly, talking with them, digging into their, their processes. I just didn't believe it. I thought they were wrong, or I thought they were not being forthcoming with me. And the more and more I dug into it, it was clear that they were just uh, operationally uh, brilliant. Um, so we what got on. Board. The, what were they doing that was brilliant? Can you elaborate? Uh, I can't share all of that, but um, you know, they've done a couple things around how they structure their their team, um, both on the technology front end of things and in their back end operations in in India, um, to just be really really efficient and, and highly accurate. So they can 
you know, basically take a bank statement, let's say, from somebody looking to um, get a loan um, and turn that around in the matter of, you know, minutes um, with 99% plus accuracy um, at, at, a, at a very low cost. Um, so it's, it's really a very tight integration between, um, between the technology that they're using um, and um, the, the resources that they use to, to do any um, error correcting on the back end. Um, and this is an enterprise technology selling to banks? Yeah, banks and, and all, banks and alternative lenders. So if you know uh, companies like Lending Club, uh, yeah. Funding Circle, you know, Cabbage, uh, groups like that um, was, was kind of their initial, where the bulk of their customers were uh, up, until, up until pretty recently. Um, mm -hmm. So that, that, was, that was it. And it was kind of a funny point. This is what one I would have called, uh, you know, more on the late seed side of things. So we finalized. Uh, our investment in early 2018 uh, as part of a seed round that was was still open, um, but the Series A actually closed with, uh, within a few days later, um, led by Bullpen Capital and, and QED here in, in the U.S. Um, so for us, we just saw, you know, this was a case where, um, you know, the founder didn't necessarily have a, a technical background, but he was a, a just natural, really good entrepreneur and and figured out how to sell something. And when he brought in, um, you know, when Sam and, and Vic uh, got together is when we really saw the, the operational efficiency and the technology efficiency uh, start to play out. Um, and you can see about six months after Vic joined the company, their, their margins, you know, turned remarkably profitable. Um, so we knew we kind of had that, that balance of, of, you know, um, sales-oriented CEO that can go out there and, and find customers and, and build revenue and a you know technical slash operations leader that could kind of run the house and make sure that everything's working really smoothly on, on the back end. And uh, it's been a winning team. They raised their Series B last year. Well, let's do another one um, just to get a flavor of your investments. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll give a, another recent one. Um, uh, a company called Knockery, um, uh that's based in Toronto. Um, they were introduced to us by one of our other founders, uh, a company we invested in Toronto also. Um, and it, it was a really interesting story. Um, the, the, the team um, was, uh, John Zevansari is, is, is the CEO um, and his previous uh, startup um, had, had failed and they were, they were looking for, for jobs. Um, and, um, he was struggling to find a job, uh, in the Toronto market and, um, you know, felt there was a lot of bias in the process and, and that he was being filtered out, um, unreasonably so by hiring managers. Um, so he, he kept tinkering with, with his name on, on resumes, uh, and ended up, uh, as Jason Ansari and was hired two weeks later. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's actually an amazing story, sort of a sad story, but also, uh, yeah, but, um, you know, really, really impactful and then resonated with, with me, um, and with our team. Um, so, you know, from that and, and John Pabe and his co-founders, uh, Maz and, and Faisal are just really entrepreneurial uh, team of guys. And um, they started this company, Nakri, which is actually um, doing sentiment analysis of video interviews. 
So for a lot of companies, particularly big companies, you know, largely in the consulting uh, or customer facing world, um, you know, IBM, for example, is, is one of their largest customers. Um, mm -hmm. you, you, a lot of the applicants for certain roles go through a video interview um, before they ever actually, you know, meet somebody within the company. Um, and uh, Nakri plugs into, you know, a WebEx or a Zoom or, or other video platforms that companies are using and really marries together um, natural language understanding uh, along with uh, some uh, uh, analysis of um, facial features um, to uh, not necessarily make a, a uh, yes or no recommendation to hiring managers, but puts um, the combination of those, puts the analysis of, of those two um, features together into a rating across several different characteristics that hiring managers are generally looking for anyway, and is usually happening at a human level anyway that we're uh, think we're quite good at, but usually actually really, really bad at with different, uh, you know, our own biases and so forth. Um, and it's worked, you know, they've taken a, 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 I would say, simple and a good way uh, approach to doing this that's um, also compliant with a lot of regulation that's popping up in the market today that's making things harder for some of the competition that's trying to make an actual recommendation as to whether or not you should hire somebody or, or not. And they've built out some really intelligent models on the back end um, where my partner David is, is really uh, coming in and, and helping them to make sure there is a really diverse base of, of data sets being used to train the application um, and monitoring it over time for any bias or drift in the algorithms them, themselves. Um, so we really like it. And then, you know, with, with everything going on globally with the uh, pandemic around COVID-19, um, there aren't a whole lot of in-person interviews right now. Um, so right, it's been a real right. spike in demand um, and, you know, I think another layer or, or uh, increase the importance of, um, you know, cost effectiveness and also uh, the around remote hiring. Um, so for, for there's a combination of a good segue into what I was going to ask you is what kind of impact is this COVID discontinuity? having on this company, to the perfect company that should be booming in this environment? What, uh, what are you seeing? Like what kind of what level of lift? Uh, quite a bit. It's still, still new. I think, um, you know, as, as a VC, somebody who's been in technology for quite a while, you know, transitioning to working from, from home was quite easy for us. You know, we, we do it all the time. And if, if we can't adopt to working remotely, then, then, you know, shame on us. Uh, probably not good for us or or our investors. Uh, not a good sign for us. Um, so it's easy for us, but a lot of big companies are still struggling to kind of churn through this. And you know, like you said uh, earlier, Shimana, like how do you actually get people online and going through the pain of logging into VPNs and, and all of that stuff? Um, so we've seen an awful lot of lift, um, and the the new pipeline has just exploded for them. Um, mm -hmm. But we don't know yet. You know, it's, I think it's going. It's it's very much going to be counter cyclical to a lot of the economy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and we're we're exploring some things, and you know, I think there's there's some. You know, we we just got the jobs reports here in the U.S. and you know, 30 million people have are, uh, filed for unemployment last month, which is horrifying. Um, so, you know, I'm really hoping that um, I. I 
we don't have this completely locked in yet, but I'm really hoping Knockery can be uh, just a, a value-adding partner uh, to help get people back to work in a, in a safe and uh, cost-effective way in the not-too-distant future. Now, um, you know, I've been in this industry for a long time, and I've seen a few cycles, like I'm sure you have too. Um, when we have discontinuities, every VC firm goes through a process of considering that discontinuity and, and uh, developing a thesis around what kinds of companies should be, um, you know, doing well in this environment. And we just discussed one of your companies that is a perfect example of, of this, uh, of a company that benefits, is counter-cyclical and benefits from this discontinuity. Do you have a broader thesis on the kinds of companies you're looking for? Because, you know, our, our um, community is full of entrepreneurs, obviously. So is there, are there types of companies or problems that you would like to solve, that you'd like to find a company to solve? Yeah, I'll, I'll, it's a great question. I'm going to be totally transparent with you and say um, sort of. Um, so... <laughs> The answer is yes. So I, I'm I'm hoping in 10 years, Shimano, we can do this again. And I'm going to tell you, uh, you know, it was, uh, I'm the most brilliant VC on earth and I planned all this perfectly. Um, the, the truth of the matter is, is we, we closed Fund One formally on February 29th, right before this, this all ended. Uh, we have, you know, we had 11 companies in the portfolio um, already, or sorry, we had 10 done uh, at that point. Our last two investments um, that came literally days or, or weeks before this crisis hit, uh, one was Nakri, and the other is a company out of Israel called Sciolo, um, that is um, basically a one or two click way to access um, the, the tools and, and applications you need at the enterprise level without actually going all the way into the network. So a you know, much, much simpler and probably more secure version of, of VPN. Um, and, you know, probably even more so than Nakri, uh, these guys have been remarkably <laughs> counter-cyclical because everybody is struggling to get people online more quickly, yeah. more securely, and so forth. So uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you that, that um, it was brilliant. We, we knew this was all coming, and, and um, you know, this is, this is exactly what we, what we planned for, but that would be a lie. Um, but, you know, the truth is... Uh, you know, I, I think we do have to plan on having, uh, as you said earlier, more remote work. How do we access, how do we get people online and, and connected much more efficiently and, and effectively and securely? Because, you know, times like these tend to also um, breed a lot of other cyber attacks and, and hacks um, yeah. That, yeah. that put everything at risk. So uh, I would say, you know, getting people online safely, securely is still very interesting for us. We would um, absolutely make other investments in that space you know, next to uh, Sciolo or, uh, or Anakri. Um, you know, I, I think that this is the time actually um, where, uh, and I'll, I'll give one example in kind of the, the U.S. And, and some of the Western world, and then one more developing example. You know, in the Western world, I think this is where, you know, a lot of the um, traditional types of businesses, enterprises that have really been slow to adopt technology you know, even just fundamental things like, um, you know, DocuSign or, or you know, uh, easier to use VPN solution. Oh, absolutely. I have all those stocks, DocuSign, Okta, and uh, RingCentral, and, and they're all booming. 
Yeah, exactly. I think a, a lot of these just fundamental, you know, core um, platforms are are going to um, really be adopted in in places like government, financial services, and and uh, the healthcare system um, because it's it's necessary now. Um, I think for the first time we'll we'll really get over the hump. Um, in you know some of the the more developing worlds, um, you know, I, I'm I'm actually really interested i'm not sure if i can invest in this space because i've i've worked there before and it's it's uh grueling um but in the energy world um in a lot of sustainability type of platforms um and uh just um i would say modernizing and, and hardening infrastructure um you know i, I still think places like, like india and and um uh, africa um you know where i've spent some time in uh in india at least uh have amazing opportunities to leapfrog a lot of the uh, rest of the world uh, in some of these ways. Uh, lots of hurdles, of course, um, probably takes a, a bigger fund than, than ours to really support that. Um, but we're, we're interested in interesting opportunities there. So um, one of the areas that I think um, is going to be a big area after this, it was already big, but I think it's going to become much bigger is the industrial AI and machine learning as the supply chains try to become more resilient and self-sufficient. There's a lot of the factory, um, that factories that supply the U.S. supply chain are going to try to come on shore, and those are not going to be human-powered factories. They're going to be largely automated factories. So there's, there's got to be a huge boom in industrial automation. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, there's <laughs> there's a few different ways this can this can really play out. I, I think, you know, um, barring uh, much change um, at the um, you know political level um, in the current administration, we're probably you know prone to going to more of an isolationist type of of future for the next several years, uh, which I think would would bring um, you know a lot of manufacturing back back into the US and back into places like Germany. Um, not necessarily true. I, I actually, um, you know, I think with a change in administration and, and maybe even some other factors, um, I, I still see globalization having having a chance. I can see, you know, places like China really uh, undercutting their own prices to make sure that they, they retain um, their, their market share in, in manufacturing, for example. Um, but either way, um, technology is going to be the leader behind it. You know, especially here in the U.S., it's kind of, you know, it's a, it's a whole confluence of factors out there that actually really, uh, I think, as, as much as, you know, we invest in machine learning and, and data science and AI as a fund, um, there are some social things that really scare me around, um, uh, you know, the readiness of this technology now and, and replacing a lot of, of, of jobs that, you know, may not come back. Um, because in addition to technology, the crisis, the, the, the uh, health concerns, um, there's also significant tax benefits for, for U.S. corporations since uh, late 2017, you know, that were really positioned as, as investing in manufacturing and, and shops and factories, but it, you know, is really promoting more, more technology that will, you know, create some new jobs, but also displace a lot of people. Um, yeah. So I'm always interested in it. It's hard from a technology perspective, but um, even just as a, a human being and, and as a, um, um, you know, philanthropist, the extent I can be, um, is just how do we, you know, retrain people and, and find new homes for them in the, in the workplace uh, is, is always, you know, really compelling. 
Yeah, I think well, there's a there's a huge question mark around the you know 30 million people as of today. Um, the last reports that are out of jobs in the U.S. and and globally, it's a much bigger number. Um, what percentage of these are going to come back? What percentage of these are going to get become the victims of this accelerated automation trend, which was already in full swing? The automation trend was already in full swing, and this is just going to accelerate that trend. That part really. Um, is very worrisome and, and, and cumbersome. I wrote a series, if you're interested in this topic, called Man and Superman. It's on our blog. So uh, really going through the whole philosophical and economic, et cetera, of this, um, uh, this trend, essentially. So, yeah. um, you know, I want to switch to the entrepreneur pitches, and there seems to be already a lot of questions in the public chat. We'll get to your questions, folks. Do not uh, lose patience, but we have to go through the scheduled entrepreneur pitches. Nick, you're staying for the pitches, yeah? Yes. 